leadership has become incredibly complicated. Workplaces are being disrupted in ways we never could have imagined. So what's the biggest challenge to leadership? I'm Michelle Johnston, management professor, executive coach, and leadership expert. And I believe the biggest challenge for today's leader is connection. Why? Because research shows that connection drives results. That's why I've written the book, The Seismic Shift in Leadership, and why we are putting together this podcast series. Through interviews with some of today's top business leaders, we are going to explore how leaders' ability to connect with themselves, their teams, and their organizations defines their ultimate success or failure. Now, on to today's episode. Welcome to the listeners who are tuning in to the Seismic Shift podcast. I am thrilled today. This is going to be my final episode of season one of the Seismic Shift. And our guest today is actually one of the reasons why I even wrote my book called The Seismic Shift in Leadership, why I even wanted to get the message out there that there was a seismic shift. I wanted to help people create positive work environments where their people can thrive and that it was no longer command and control. And so the guest today is Mr. Pete November, and he's the CEO of Auctioner Health. Welcome, Pete November. Thank you, Michelle. It is great to be here and um, love all you've done with that book. And I will say to your listeners, I wouldn't have this job I'm in today had Michelle not helped coach me um, over the years and taught a lot and learned a lot from Michelle. So um, big thanks. Big thanks. Big thanks to you, Michelle. Oh, thank you, Pete. You know, I was at the the New Orleans Book Festival this past weekend singing your praises in my session. And sometimes, as you know, when you're getting interviewed and you start to say things out loud, you you kind of have these aha moments. Right. And moderator Peter Ricciuti um, from Tulane said, why in the world? Who was it that kind of gave you the wake up call that you needed to write about the seismic shift? I said, Pete November, because you do things in a way that you drive financial performance. Um, I was able to coach you when you were first the chief administrative officer, and then you were the chief financial officer, and now you're the CEO. And you get things done by focusing on compassion, kindness, showing care for the whole person. And I was watching you, you, you really, I, I'm just, I owe you so much by allowing me um, to sit in on so many of your meetings and to see you in action. And so my, uh, my head, it was like, it was spinning because I was looking at all these leaders that were not successful because they were old school, aggressive, command and control, and they were creating cultures of fear. And then I was able to see you creating cultures of connection that absolutely were making a difference. So please share with the listeners, tell us how in the world you got to be the CEO of a 40,000 person, almost 40,000 employees in a healthcare system. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I mean, I got here because I've had a lot of good people that have helped me over my life. I mean, you know, my parents, um, lots of great friends, lots of good coaches and mentors and teachers. And, um, you know, ultimately I learned from all of them. And, uh, you know, so that that's how I got here. And 
I've been blessed to have lots of great opportunities in my life. People have given me chances to do different things and, um, you know, it led to all this, but, um, you know, I, I honestly leadership and you and I've talked about this is, you know, my mind is look, if people that work with you work for you, they know that, you know, you have their best interests in heart, that you really care about them. Um, that um, you care about them not only professionally but as a person, and um, they feel safe and feel like you're open to new ideas, and and that that you create this warm environment and where people connect with one another, and you know they have a relationship that you can get anything done if you could create that environment. Because when you're in that environment, then you know that nobody gets anything done in life by themselves. It's a, you get things done with a group of people. And when um, you create that environment where people feel that comfort, both with you plus their peers, um, and they look at each other as people and, and care about them like family, then when you say, hey, we got to go get this done, they'll, do, they'll, they'll magically get it done and not only get it done, but enjoy getting it done because they're doing it with one another in the right environment. And it's really not any more complicated than that, um, but that's how I think about it. And I probably as a leader spend a lot of time in a meeting. Lots of people are in a meeting talking about whatever the issue is. And I'm, I'm spending a lot of time looking at the room, trying to figure out where people are emotionally, where they are with each other, you know, what's driving them or making them tick. And usually, you know, if you can get people to feel comfortable and safe and um, express their ideas um, without any fear, you can get, you can really make magic happen. And you are, absolutely. And so, as you well know, I believe that connection is at three levels. Connection with yourself, connection with your team, and then in your case, creating connection for the almost 40,000 employees at Auctioner. So, could you share with the listeners, because I got to, again, be on the front row and see your evolution early on when you first joined Auctioner in your connection with yourself and what a difference that made. Could you share that? story? Yeah, sure. You know, that's one of my favorite things to talk about, Michelle. And I actually owe this to you is people, I think when they look at other leaders or other mentors or other people they work with, and also just as you live in society, there's this idea of what you think a leader should be like. And so you try to adapt who you are to try to be like whatever that image is. And um, I started when I first got here, you know, that is sort of where I was. I, I sort of knew at the core who I was, but I thought, well, that's not good enough. I need to be, I need to be like this. And as you saw it, I got up at one point, tried to do a presentation and tried to be somebody I wasn't. And you're like, Hey, that's not going to work. In fact, you were great. You actually, you're very direct with feedback. You're like, that was awful. But your advice was, and you're right, it was awful, but your advice was just be yourself. And that was a really meaningful moment for me where um, I realized you, you can't try to be something you aren't and you just, you got to be comfortable with who you are. And um, once I got that in, in my head and it was like, okay, I, that's really how I need to, to go forward. Then the rest of it was really comfortable and easy from there. Because once you, because when you're talking to people or you're working with people, you're just who you are. So you're not making it up. You're not trying to be something else. So it gets really comfortable and really easy when you do it that way. But, um, but it took that, getting myself comfortable with just being who I am. And, and I would say the last four months in this new role as CEO, um, it's been more important than ever because, you know, when I stand up in front of a group of people, I just am who I am. 
And I think what you learn in this job, because you're you're presenting all the time, is if you try to be someone you're not, people are going to see through it quickly, and you're and they're not going to trust you. And so, I would just say to people out there, don't try to be somebody you're not. Just you got to figure out who you are, what's important to you, and be that. Um, and that and that you know, and that's something I've learned since I've been here. I love that. And two things I want to say to the listeners: number one, Pete and I have a very different recollection of that moment when I went behind <laughs> after he gave his big presentation in front of thousands of people. It was his first big executive presentation, and at Auctioner they do these big leadership events, and it might have even been in the Superdome. Um, and I, and I saw him speak and I went backstage and I did not for the record say you were awful. What I said for the record was, who was that? Yeah, that, that is exactly what you said. And understandably as humans, you heard that was awful. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. But I really who was that? That is not the Pete November that I know. That was somebody very different. And and so the second thing I also want to say to the listeners through all of my years in coaching and as a professor of leadership, I've learned that perfection, as, as Pete just beautifully articulated, the desire, the, the quest to try to be perfect and whatever perfect is in your head, it's, you know, whatever success looks like to you, typically when you're in a new role, you're trying to be what that looks like and perfection equals disconnection. Yeah. And Pete also alluded to that, that particularly as CEO the last four months, if you're not truly yourself, people have a BS meter and they, they, they might not be able to figure out what it is, but their meter goes off and then they don't trust you. Right. I totally agree with that, Michelle. The other thing I would say is um, being comfortable being vulnerable um, is something that we've talked about a lot, which is um, I think people in life feel like being a leader, you have to be perfect. And that you have all the answers and that, you know, you know exactly what to do. And I think being honest with people like, look, no matter what leadership your role you're in, um, you're just a human. You're just a person and you're trying to figure it out just like everybody else is trying to figure out life. And you, we've all had these experiences and we're all not perfect. And I think being vulnerable to be able to admit I don't have all the answers and um, being vulnerable about, hey, maybe some tough challenges in your life and mistakes you made. And when you share that with people and, and you're vulnerable there, I think people re that resonates with people and people then connect because they're like, hey, you're human, too. And we're just we're all in this together. I think that's really important because I think, you know, people, again, have this image of what leadership is supposed to look like. And it's both perfection and it's this um, idea that, you know, there's nothing wrong in your life or that nothing, you know, and that you that it's all been perfect and, and you have all the answers. And I think that which, you know, isn't true. And, and so I think being vulnerable and sharing that's really important um, if, you, if you want people to connect with you as a leader. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. And listeners, I'll give you a really a concrete example of that, a pretty, pretty vivid example of that. Um, Pete had just become the CEO of Auctioner and was asked to chair a big gala, big fundraiser uh, for an, a beautiful organization called Son of a Saint. And we were rehearsing his presentation and I was asking him to be super vulnerable and Pete really share your story, 
share your story. And I'd love for you to share a little bit with our listeners. And you said, gosh, I just don't, are you sure that I should really share all that? Because in your head, you're like, I'm sure people are assuming that I went to, you know, whether it's boarding school, got my MBA at Harvard, whatever people assume in their head, the story that they make up, oh, this is the brand new CEO of Auctioner. He must have, and he's like, and and Pete said, that's not my story at all. Are you sure? And I said, yes, that's how you're going to connect particularly with this organization. Do you want to share a little bit about that? that yeah, was I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't mind sharing. Yeah, that was, um, I think I was less than two months into this job, maybe six weeks. And um, Son of a Saint is an amazing organization um, that really uh, helps young men who may not have a father um, in their life or their father's far away and um, needs that male figure. And um, it's really just, and it's a, beautiful organization. And when they do that, you can see how these young men go on and do great things and um, what a difference it makes in their life. And so as Michelle knows, I grew up, my parents were divorced. My dad lived, you know, in Connecticut. I was with my mom down in Kentucky. My grandfather had passed away pretty much right after I got to Kentucky. So I didn't have, you know, a lot of male figures growing up. You know, that's why earlier we're talking about coaches and teachers and people like that. And because um, my dad, you know, I, my dad was far away. I didn't get to see him very often. And look, I also grew up, you know, divorced. My mom was a nurse. We didn't have a lot of money, you know, struggled financially. So, you know, it wasn't this ideal upbringing of like, you know, this perfect education and all of that. I mean, I worked to put myself through school and borrowed money to go to law school and all that. And so and and I know the importance of a coach or a teacher or a mentor um, so I, that's really the story I shared and I, but I will say I was incredibly vulnerable. And as Michelle knows, when I, when I got off the stage, I was like, wow, was that too much? And, um, because, you know, I, I but you know, I, I, my sense is the people that I've talked to after that were like, look, we really appreciate you sharing that. And I didn't do it for any reason other than I just felt like it was really important that they, cause I was trying to describe how our organization and I value so much what son of a saint does and i think the best way to do that is just to be vulnerable hey you were like a lot of those young men that needed help and people helped you and so you you know the reason i'm up there is because i want a chance to get back and help other people that need that help and so um but it was very vulnerable it was a a beautiful moment there were very very few dry dry eyes in that room um, after you, you know, really you did, you took the risk. It's hard being up there in the spotlight on the microphone and really sharing that part right. of your childhood yeah, yeah. and yourself. Yeah. But boy, did you connect with the audience? So what a vivid example. Um, thank you for, for sharing with our listeners. And so the second level of connection, because you truly as a leader can't connect with your team unless you do the work on yourself and you own your journey, you own your story, like warts and all, we all have struggles and it's, and it's about just really owning it so that you don't, you're not walking around with any sort of shame or hiding, you know, right. bits and pieces of yourself. That, that to me is true connection with yourself, uh, owning your strengths, knowing what some of your right. blind spots are helps you put a really good team together. Then, and only then, can you truly connect with your team because then you have the trust, right? You're, you're authentic. And so one of the things that Pete was so good at when he was the chief financial officer, this was probably when you were chief administrative officer and chief financial officer before the pandemic. 
Pete's meetings became legendary and people, when they would see me and they knew that I worked with Pete as a coach, they would say, Michelle, hey, does he have any job openings in his division? I really want to work for Pete November and learn from him because of the climate, the environment that he created. So again, this is pre-pandemic where um, if people didn't really know about, oh, why don't we begin with the meeting and go around and ask everybody on a scale of one to 10, how are you doing personally, professionally? Now it's become a little bit more mainstream, mainstream because we had to pivot and figure out how to connect virtually. So you can imagine I'm sitting in these meetings with his entire team and Pete and I both are very tuned into non verbals. And so he would say, you know, well, Michelle, today I'm really interested. Um, it's it's the week before Thanksgiving and everyone's about to go off. And I'm just curious, like, I want you to share what is your favorite Thanksgiving meal? And, and it was fascinating because some people on his team would cl- have closed body language like, oh, my gosh, are you kidding and others. And then whenever you got through with the exercise, whether it was on a scale of one to 10, how are you doing? Because I care about you. Please be honest and tell us. Or Thanksgiving's next week. I'm so grateful for you. What's your favorite meal? By the end of, you know, 10 people on your team sharing, oh, the environment in the room, you could just, you could move mountains. Yeah. 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 I think, you know, one of my learnings was there is we all go to meetings all day long where we're trying to accomplish, like you people schedule meetings because here's an issue we need to accomplish it. And, um, I think where what we what I was trying to do there, what I, I think often works is um, it's okay to have a meeting where you're not trying to accomplish anything other than connecting with one another, figuring out how people are doing, um, understanding what's on their mind, what's bothering them. That was really what we were doing. And I think that when we created that environment, that then all of a sudden people felt really comfortable talking to one another about the things that we did need to accomplish, but not from a sense of judgment or, or concern or worry, just really honest, open. And then you could see people like, Hey, well, I can help you with that because they had made that connection. And, you know, the, the room was just so the environment was so comfortable. And, um, you know, and I, and so, and, and I just, you know, I, I talk about it a lot. Like, when I, when people come to meet with me, I want them to look forward to coming and meet with me. Like I want them to be like, Hey, I want to go meet with you. Cause it's going to be comfortable. And I'm going to feel like I'm talking to someone who cares about me and we're going to just have a conversation. And, you know, I don't need to worry that he's judging me or he's going to ask a question. I know the answer to, and I, I just want people to be like, Hey, I want to go to that meeting because I know we're going to, we're going to, it's going to be something that I enjoy and, and get excited about. And it's going to feel you know, warm and comfortable. And so I I think that's really the environment we tried to create. And um, again, I, uh, I just think when people feel that way, um, then they'll, they could just, they can make magic happen. And I, and I see it day in and day out when someone feels comfortable and they know you care about them, like they, they will, they can do amazing things. This podcast directly parallels my new book titled The Seismic Shift in Leadership, How to Thrive in a New Era of Connection. Through a series of revealing interviews with 18 leaders from around the globe, I will show you how connecting with yourself, your teams, and your organizations can get you to the next level. The Seismic Shift in Leadership is available right now on Amazon or wherever books are sold. 
For more information about the book, you can visit my website at www.michellekjohnston.com. And it's building that commonality too. What I what I saw happen with all of those meetings that we were in together is when 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 you have two people sitting on opposite sides of the table that maybe obviously they need to accomplish the organization's goals, but maybe they kind of had clashing personalities. And yep. then you see one of them said, I, I I'm a brand new empty nester. So I don't know if I'm a nine out of ten or a one out of ten. Because yeah. I'm just getting used to it. And then somebody across the table said, Oh my gosh, I didn't realize your your kid just went to college. I me too. And then you saw this this commonality and this bridge form between people. And then you realized, okay, they're gonna be able to work together much better than than they were able to do it before this meeting. Also, what you you helped me come up with my my saying now is that connection drives results. So whatever you're trying to accomplish, if you just intentionally embed time for connection to create that psychological safety and trust, you will and you articulate what result you're right. you're moving toward, you're going to get there. And so what I'm also seeing the seismic shift referring to is that meetings used to be and th- we can also think about it um kind of before your time, the people who mentored you and now what you're doing at auction meetings were much more formal and there was this expectation that you almost had to come to the meeting to prove yourself. You wore your best suit. You, you put together a PowerPoint presentation to kind of prove your worthiness. Right. Right. And we're finding that the, the best meetings now, and that was much more transactional are, are more informal. Let's come and have a conversation You don't have to prove everything to me. Let me let me ask you. I'll, I'll do you do the most talking, and 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 I will help remove barriers, get you the resources you need, so you can succeed. So tell me about how that shifted for you. Yeah, I um I, I say this a lot. I said, look, if you if you want to come do a presentation and just present information to me, just you can send me a send me the PowerPoint ahead of time, and I'll read it. I said, I think humans and people in the workplace, we get together to solve a problem together and because we don't know the answer and we need the collective view of everybody to solve the problem. And so, you know, I tell people, look, if you're going to come meet with me, don't bother bringing me a 30 page PowerPoint. If you want to do that, you can send it to me and I'll read it. But like bring the five bullets or and explain what we're trying to solve. And then let's just have a conversation about how to how, how to try to solve it. Because I think if you take 45 minutes to go through the presentation, leave 15 minutes to solve the problem, I'd rather flip it on its head and say, we'll take five minutes to tee up the issue and 55 minutes to talk about how we solve it. But I also think in that discussion, um, you also have to figure out, as I, I, at least I do as a leader, like where are people, one, where are they that particular day personally? Like, you know, are they comfortable that day or are they clearly not their normal self that day. Um, what's, what, is there something bother them? Are they, you know, because this idea, I love when people say, well, guy, you have to separate your home from your work. I'm like, we're not robots. So like if something's going on with you at home or in your life, like that's going to impact the way you approach issues. And I like to figure that out in the conversation because, you know, then allows you to level set in terms of how people are approaching a problem. Um, and then, you know, I think you want to 
you want to give the discussion to happen and see everybody's different perspectives. And lots of times people's perspectives are viewed by their own insecurities or lots of different things. And, and I feel like before you can get to solving the problem, you can understand why people are coming at the issue a certain way. And once you've sort of created that environment, you can figure all that out and create comfort in the room. Then you can, then solving the problem is usually pretty apparent what needs to happen. But when you jump, if you jump from presentation to let's just talk about the solution with sort of out understanding perspectives and what's driving people and their, their opinions or, you know, what are their fears or concerns about the issue, then it's really hard to, to me to get to the solution. And um, part, of, part of that maybe is just the way I'm wired and not everybody's wired that way, but that's, that's a lot of how I think about it is I'm sitting in a room full of people trying to solve something. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things that I've, I've had to really delve into is what in the world is the definition of connection, yeah. right? And, and I've learned that connection requires reciprocity. So as I referred to before, the old school is more transactional. And now connection is give and take. And so you, you ask a lot of questions, right? It's not just you talking, you directing. It's you really want, oh, you really want to know what's going on. And so it's, it's an, it requires an energy of reciprocity. That's what I've learned. It's, it's do your people when they're interacting with you, are they, do they feel seen? Right. Heard? Trusted. Valued? Yeah. Trusted? Yeah. Appreciated? And you as a leader, you have to figure out in those meetings, in those moments of interaction to, to make sure that, that your people are feeling those things. That to me is true connection. And, and as you were talking, Pete, it reminded me of that beautiful, your, your, your head of wellness, um, Dr. Nigel. And, and he sent out an email that I have kept and that I have forwarded to so many people. And it was in the height of the pandemic. And he's a medical doctor. Right. And he sent out an email with the subject line, how are you doing, comma, really? Yeah. And you and I would have all of these team meetings where we just decided that was going to be the beginning and we would assign different people to lead off. And, and just where you put your intonation and your emphasis changed everything. So one of your team members would say, OK, the question of today, we're going to go around and we want to know how are you doing really? Yeah. And then somebody else would say, but how are you doing really? Right. And that was so fascinating to me. You speak to that? Yeah. Um, I, I remember doing that. I remember that, that Nigel sent that out. And, it, you know, um, one of the folks who worked with, he really just enjoyed putting the different, it was, it became fun putting the emphasis on the different thing and, uh, and really how they would ask the question would change people's responses to it. But just that question of how are you, if you can get people in an environment where they feel comfortable actually answering it honestly. Um, I would say two things about that. If you're going to, if you're going to try to really get people to really figure out how people are, um, you, you can't just ask them how they are. One, you have to really want to know how they are. Um, and two, you got to create an environment where they're comfortable sharing how they are um, and know that, you know, if they're having a terrible day and they're really upset, it's okay to say that. And you modeled the way. I will yeah. never forget. There was a meeting. This, again, was early on in the pandemic where we're all on Zoom trying to figure it out and try to create these moments right. of connection. And and you said, how are you all doing? Because it was, it, was, it was a new right. variant. And all of a sudden, everything was shut down again. And you said, I, I really want to know how are you all doing. And you typically would go last. And, and you'd say on a scale of 1 to 10. And there were 8, 8, 8, 8, 8, 8. And it got to you. And you said, Whoa, 
I'm like a four. And let me tell you why I'm, I'm struggling. This is hard. And you shared that. And then you said, so go, I want you to know it's okay not to be okay. And we went around and all of a sudden your team, they were like, yeah, I'm a four too. Yeah. 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 You got to get people comfortable to really share how they're really, really honestly feeling. And, but I do think part of it is vulnerability. Like you have to be willing to share that it's hard for you. I, I was actually in a meeting yesterday and we were working through a, a really tough issue. And I said, look, I've got emotions about this and I've struggled with what's the right thing to do. And I've gone through multiple stages of grief myself. And I know you're going to go through those same things and that's okay. It's normal. And by the way, you got to make sure you take care of each other because we're going to all go through those, those. And I can't remember what the issue was at this point, but you got to create that, that kind of environment again, where people really understand it's okay to be emotional. And I, you know, I was on a call last week with someone and we were just, it was actually just a call to, to, to help someone understand how much they were appreciated. Um, they got a little emotional and I said, look, I love emotion. Like when you're emotional, it shows you care. And also it shows that you're comfortable sharing how you really are, which then creates honesty, which then allows you to actually accomplish things when you get to that place. So, um, but you know, it's, it's definitely different than what you think about the traditional leadership. You know, if you were to go read leadership books. Yes. And that gets us to that next level. Level three connection is in, in this case is how in the world do you get almost 40,000 employees to connect with auctioner? And one of the things I've learned about this is, and, and I've learned so much about, about connection at a high level from auctioner and from the great city that you and I both live in, Pete, is New Orleans. And coming out of Mardi Gras really has taught me that the two keys for connection at a high level is number one, you've got to create the ritual. And number two, you have to embed it into your rhythm. So just to give listeners what I'm talking about is I, you know, when you go through Mardi Gras and I had eight of Elizabeth's friends from the George is staying with me. And so you experience this almost as a new person again, introducing all these people is, is New Orleans as a city. We have all of these events, kind of these rituals like the, the Mardi Gras and French Quarter Fest and Jazz Fest, Essence Fest, the Saints, the Pelicans. We have these rituals that are embedded into our calendars. Right. So every year we know. Right. And then. And then we, it's an opportunity to truly connect with others, with your neighbors, shoulder to shoulder, really quite beautiful. So when I think about Auctioner, I learned so much about how to connect with an organization from Auctioner because you all have a robust operating system. Could you share with the listeners what that looks like? Because I think that is truly a key to a leader's success. Yeah. Um, You know, we uh, have a very robust you know, system of designing leadership meetings, WebExes, weekly communication, whatever it is, um, so that you're proactively creating points of connection and communication, and you're not just accidentally letting it happen. And I think that's really important. And, you know, a good, one of the things I've done in this new role as CEO, I said, look, you know, the most important thing I can do every day is, is, is be out and connect and spend time in the regions talking to people. And, you know, everybody's like, gosh, you're going to be so busy. You're not going to have time for that. And I said, well, actually, I I do have time for that because it's the most important thing I can do. And so they've scheduled a very routine set of me going to regions. And and I don't stand up there and give a speech. What I do is I'll meet with different groups, small groups, you know, 15, 20, 25. And I stand up and I'll tell a little bit about myself and my story. And then I'm like, okay, it's time. I actually asked this question. 
if you were me and you were the CEO, what would you do? What's on your mind? And you'd be amazed. And again, you've got to create that that open environment. People will just start telling you what's going on. And that's, and honestly, I get so much more out of it than they get out of it because I actually learn what's going on. And and it's so it's really important. But you got to. It, it is easy to get up and let your calendar control you and turn and just solve problems. Because look, I that's what I do a lot of that every day, like everybody else. But you can get yourself to a place where that's all you're doing, and you forget that. Probably the most important thing you do is go spend time with people and understand what's going on and hear them and connect with them so that um, they look at leadership as as someone who really does care and appreciate them and and not just someone who's sort of telling not someone who's telling them what to do because as I say I think my job is to sort of lay out what's going on in the world what's our vision where do we have to go organizationally but then I want everybody else to feel empowered to go figure out how to make that happen and my job is to help take barriers out help them solve whatever problems they need solving but um, not to not to mandate not only not to mandate what they need to do every day because um, honestly they know more about what needs to get done every day than I do because they're on the front lines of doing it um, but uh, but you got to be proactive about making sure you create the right opportunities to connect with folks. That's right. And so you are creating a culture of connection. And that is, I just met with my publisher and that's going to be the next book, The Seismic Shift in Culture, How to Create a Culture of Connection that Drives Results. And so Pete is going out on these listening tours and, and what he's doing is creating this culture of connection to drive the results that he needs, right? And a lot of leaders, as he was saying, are just reactive and they're putting out fires. And you have to, in order to create a culture of connection, what I've learned is you have to be so intentional in your calendar to say, I could sit and put out fires all day, every day, and then look up and the year will have passed. Or I can strategically in bedtime, like you said, to go out to the regions and and go on these listening tours in the case that Pete was sharing with you. Or it could be um, a lot of companies ask me, what can we do to connect with our people? I'll say, well, let's talk about your rituals. Make sure that they're embedded consistently. Is it, do you do a Habitat for Humanity, build a house together? Do you have your annual Christmas party, your Halloween costume? You know, what are the rituals that set you as an organization apart that make you different, that are more of the macro level? And just make sure you're giving your employees, you're embedding them in the system. And, and so one of the other things you all do besides the list listening tour is I referred to it. You have big leadership events. I just went to one. You had 4,000 leaders. Right. That is a part of your operating system. Every year you are going to get into your top 4,000 leaders and you are going to connect with them. Like you said, what is your vision? What are the values? What are your priorities? Yeah. That's to me, beautiful connection. Yeah, totally. Totally agree. And Michelle, one thing I, I you know, uh, folks listen to us, um, I don't want to forget about if you create the connection and you create the right environment, you really do drive results. And I know you've said that, but you know, what's amazing is when you create that right environment, it, it still means people can be held accountable and people still have to produce results. But it's funny, people get excited about producing results and being held accountable when they are in that right environment and they feel like they can try and fail and innovate and that there's support and that, um, and, and also that they're actually have the, they're empowered to go actually make it happen. It's not, you know, when you hear some of this, you could say, well, gosh, that sounds really great, but are you able to get results? I actually think it's the key to getting results because, you know, I don't know about you. I don't like someone to force me to get something done. I want to, I want to get it. I want, 
I want to get it done myself. And I, you know, part of the job as leadership is to inspire people and get them in the right environment where they want to succeed because it's what they want to do, not because they're being told to do it. And I, and I, I think it's important when people hear this to understand there, there, there is a connection between the two and, um, and the results do come. Absolutely. And what I just found out I was conducting and we'll end on this. I had this big eureka after being in Atlanta all day yesterday, conducting all these interviews. I'm, I'm trying to collect the data from my next book, right? What drives, how do you create a culture of connection? And then what erodes connection? And my biggest takeaway yesterday after interview after interview was accountability. Like you just said, Pete, accountability. Connection works when there's accountability. What right. erodes connection is if you set up this environment that that you trust one another, you feel safe, you feel comfortable, and then you don't hold somebody accountable. That right. erodes connection. So right. you got to have both, right? You got to have culture of connection and accountability, and then you're golden. So yeah. I mean, and, and, what- yeah, yeah, and you can't hold people accountable, Michelle, if you don't create that environment and give them the power and the empowerment to go do things, and you're just telling them. And, and they're not empowered to do things or they don't feel like they can try and fail. And then when things don't happen, how do you hold them accountable? Because you didn't actually give them a chance, right? So you got, I mean, when you create the right environment and give people the the the, the room to go accomplish things, then you can hold them accountable. But if you don't do that, then I don't know how to hold you accountable because I haven't given you a chance to even prove, can you get it done? I mean, how do you, I couldn't have ended this episode, my final episode of my first season of The Seismic Shift any better. I hope that every one of you all who are listening right now can understand why Pete November, working with Pete November, really was the driver as to why I'm, I'm on a mission now to help others create positive workspaces where others can thrive. And I really think the key is culture of connection. And like Pete just said, holding people accountable and and then you're going to get the results you want. Pete, thank you so much. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you so much. And um, I appreciate all you've done to help me in my career. And i um, so proud of you and your book and your research and all that you're doing. So, so and thanks for oh, having me. Thank you. Um, thank you all to the listeners for tuning in to The Seismic Shift. We'll see you next time for season two. Take care. for joining us on The Seismic Shift. And before you go, can I ask one favor of you? Do you mind sharing today's episode with a leader you know? The power of this conversation is found in your using it and sharing it to create real connection in your life. Lastly, I'd like to thank Loyola University, New Orleans and the Terra Firma audio team for helping bring this content to life.